Over these next few talks, we're going to be looking at chapters 17 to 19 of Luke. Now, Luke uh, was uh, a doctor, um, an historian with a, an eye for detail. He also wrote a lot of the New Testament. He wrote over a quarter of the New Testament. He's the only Gentile author. He's got a particular interest in how uh, the Gentiles come together with Jews in this new community in Christ which is relevant for our context today of, of growing diversity in our churches. He's also got a big focus on God's plan, God's plan that was promised in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus and the church. He's got a big focus on Jesus and his continuing work through the spirit in his church. And he's got a big focus on the salvation Jesus brings from sin and the consequences of sin. So let's um, let's read a story of this salvation. It's a story that's only told by Luke. It's not in the other Gospels. Um, it's it's Luke seventeen, eleven to nineteen. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, "Jesus." Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's up in the north uh, between Samaria and Galilee, and he meets 10 men with leprosy. Now, let me read to you from the Oxford Handbook of Tropical Medicine. Leprosy is a chronic inflammatory disease affecting skin and peripheral nerves caused by mycobacterium lepri. Presentation and progress are determined by the host cell mediated immune response to the mycobacterium. And then there's stuff about anesthetic macules or plaques and nerve enlargement and damage, and then transmission, diagnosis, management. The leprosy described in the Oxford Handbook may not be quite the same as what these 10 men had, but whatever it was, that reductionist, that biomedical description misses so much of what is awful for these men. Luke doesn't know about mycobacteria, but he does know that leprosy is a disease that isolates and separates people from friends and family, from synagogue and community. It's about stigma, the social and psychological harm that made it such a dreaded skin disease. Disease and healing are much more than biology. We, we probably all know that statement from the WHO constitution. Health is a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So see how Luke describes the men. He doesn't focus on their skin lesions. He paints a bigger picture of their separation and desperation. See, back in verse 11, he wasn't giving us an interesting geography lesson about northern Israel. The border 
of Galilee and Samaria is a no man's land between Jews and Samaritans who hate each other. It's a place of division and isolation. So the men, verse 12, stand at a distance. And, and, and verse 13, they call out loudly for pity. And what does Jesus do? He prescribes monthly rifampicin and daily dapsone. No, he tells them to go to the priests who have authority to welcome them back into community if the leprosy has gone. And they go. And as they go, they're cured. They're cleansed. One of them, seeing that he's healed, comes back. He's praising God and he throws himself at Jesus' feet and humbly thanks him. He's recognised who Jesus is and what he's done and he worships him. But the other nine haven't bothered. All of them had been cleansed, but only one comes back to praise God. And here's the scandalous bit. He's one of the hated foreigners, the Samaritans. All of them should have come back. All of them should have come back to thank and worship Jesus. But none of Jesus's own people have done that. Just the Samaritan. I, I love this passage for uh, CU lunch bars on, on Christian involvement in healthcare or, or global health. It, it shows the compassion that Jesus has for the vulnerable, his, his lack of coercion as he heals people. He doesn't offer help only to his own people. He doesn't demand people accept him as Lord before he cures them. He doesn't force the other nine to come back to him. Jesus is a great model for us in healthcare. In, in global health, Christians have been accused of offering healthcare in return for conversions or of prioritising healthcare for those who are already Christians. That would be monstrous. We do long for our patients to come to know Jesus, but we can't and we mustn't force them. So what does Jesus do? He tells the man, your faith has saved you. Except here's uh, where I'm, I'm going to need to do some explaining because both the NIV and the ESV, pretty much every modern translation says, your faith has made you well or your faith has healed you. But Luke's used this exact phrase already twice, and he is so careful with his words. So back in Luke 7 and 8, he weaves several stories together to show how great is the salvation that Jesus offers. It's salvation from sin and from the consequences of sin. Disorder, disease, demons, death, and bang in the middle is the story of the sinful woman who anoints Jesus' feet and wipes them with her hair. It's Luke 7, 48 to 50. Let me read it. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. In Greek, it's hepistisusesokense. We've had uh, we've had geography, we've had medical pathology. Now we've got New Testament Greek. But bear with me, because a chapter later in chapter eight, verse 48, he says exactly the same word for word to the woman who'd been bleeding with menorrhagia. And here now he says it to the man he's cured of leprosy. And he'll say it one more time to the blind man in chapter 18. Your faith has saved you. 
If you say something so many times, you really mean it, don't you? But if Luke had just wanted to say your faith has healed you, he could have used the same word as as verse 15 here back in chapter 17, which is a common word in the Gospels and always means heal. If Luke had just wanted to say your faith has cleansed you, he could have used the same common word as in verse 14 or 17, which always means cleansed or purified. But he doesn't. He uses the word save. Like the word saviour and salvation, it's used by Dr. Luke a lot. He knows what he's doing it. Um, and back in, in chapter 7, verse 48, he tied it closely together with your sins are forgiven. So he doesn't just mean healing from disease. That would, that would so limit the meaning of the word. He means the great, deep, wonderful salvation that Jesus offers from sin as well as from the consequences of sin. And back in chapter 7, in verse 50, he closely tied it together with go in peace. As you see, sin brings alienation from God and from each other. It brings hatred and division. The social barriers of the location they're in and the leprosy illustrate that separation. And as the man comes back to Jesus, we're told that he's saved an end to the isolation. It's a picture of peace with God. The barriers are broken down, sins forgiven and joyful new life, giving praise to God. The healing from leprosy is both a picture of forgiveness from sin and a promise that one day God will deal with all the consequences of sin. One day there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or doctors or nurses. I know you're all working hard to become doctors and nurses, but one day you'll be so redundant and it'll be such good news. So this is another great model for us as Christians in healthcare. This is real whole person medicine. It's not about biological reductionism. It's not even just biopsychosocial. All those are important. But illness and suffering are all symptoms of our deepest problem, our sin. If you come into my emergency department with crushing central chest pain and ST elevation on your ECG, um, I don't just treat the pain, have some paracetamol, lie down. It's, it's an MI, a myocardial infarction. You do need analgesia, but you really need your coronary arteries to be opened up. We do need healthcare, but we really need relationship with God to come back to him, to have the barrier of sin between us and God to be torn down. We need to be saved from sin and the consequences of sin. As we care for those who are ill or those struggling with the social consequences of illness, we live out Jesus' compassion and love in the face of the hurt and harm that sin has brought in this world. We show that sickness and death are bad and it's good to work against them. But we know that in the end, all our patients will die. As will we, unless Jesus returns first. We will all get sick. Some of us are suffering now. And what we all need, us, our patients, our colleagues, 
is to come back to Jesus, like this man, for peace and forgiveness, for salvation, which guarantees that one day all the consequences of sin will be dealt with forever. What wonderful good news we have to share. What a wonderful privilege we have to share it in the context of caring for people's health. 